Welcome to episode three. Episode three, Matt. We actually did it. We've we've actually. This is a real thing now. You realize that, right? Third time's the charm. We're officially a show now. We can call it like hundred percent. Oxford Dictionary. You look it up. What a show is. It says three episodes. It's right there. Does this mean we're going to have to keep? You know, keep doing this. I mean, you know, the beauty of doing your own stuff and being your own boss and freelancing is, if we wanted, we could stop right now, but. I don't All think right, we bye. Want to. Thank you for listening. That is <laughs> and the end that of the episode. that was the final episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. <laughs> no, next no, week it was not. Nothing. Hush. No, <laughs> no. Episode three of many of Curiosity Killed the Rat science podcast where we try to make science as fun and as interesting for you guys as possible. I'm Kate and I get rats drunk. For research. For <laughs> research. Yeah, I. <laughs> Yes, I do. I do research in addiction neuroscience, um, but I geek out over all sorts of science. I'm Matt. I'm the sound guy. <laughs> the sound guy. <laughs> and uh, also a wonderful part of the podcast. Oh, thanks, B. Yeah. I, I your, try. your banter makes it. Oh, look, otherwise we'd just be exposition on tape. <laughs> no one wants to listen to me for half an hour straight, which is also another reason why today, super exciting, we have a super awesome guest joining us. We have Lyndon, Dr. Lyndon Ashcroft. Welcome, Lyndon. Thanks for having me, Kate and Matt. I can't believe I get to be part of the third episode. Very excited oh, to be here. We're so excited to have you. So Lyndon is a climate scientist and science communication extraordinaire, but, you know, has now definitely reached the peak of her career getting to come on Curiosity Killed the That's Rat. It. That's it. It's all downhill from here for you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to break the news <laughs> yeah. to you this way, but Dems the breaks. Dems the breaks. Yeah. So the reason we have Lyndon on today and the reason I wanted to have Lyndon come on the show is because we wanted to really use this episode to talk about something really important and something that I'm not very qualified to talk about and Lyndon is, is far more qualified to talk about than me. So we've brought in the big guns um, for this one. <laughs> Tell us, Lyndon, what are we about to learn about today? Well, as I understand it, you guys have brought me in to talk about, well, the only thing that people are really talking about <laughs> in Australia and maybe around the world at the moment, which is, of course, the devastating bushfires yeah. mm. that have torn through at least 10 million hectares in Oof. Australia since they started in September. 10 million hectares. It's too many hectares. Causing many deaths of people, many, many more deaths of animals and plants and, and destroying a lot of homes as well. So, I mean, I've... We can talk about the fires, we can talk about climate, we can talk about climate change, we can, you know, talk about clouds coming from thunderstorms, making their own weather. I'm here to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. Matt, do you have any, do you have any specific questions for our climate scientists regarding these because you you were evacuated weren't you from yeah. your house the other the other day the other week well not like strictly evacuated but we did get the the call out on like social media and government websites and that sort of thing that kind of within our region there was a bushfire happening and the the kind of circumference that they drew out for which houses should evacuate was like a block away from us mm. so we kind of were like it's probably for the best that we just kind of you know Yeet out of here just in case. Um, yeah. it, it all ended up being okay. The fires around Atwell, they um, 
they, they, they put them out pretty quickly. And I think it was just sort of the, the, the parks around the area that got burnt down. I don't think any houses got destroyed. Um, mm. But there were fires Still, cropping up. scary shit, man. Yeah, scary it was, shit. It was it was interesting. It was a little bit of anxiety inducing. But I reckon a me and my house, housemates we we got our stuff together pretty pretty quickly and calmly. And uh, we I went. I mean, you're we your group of pretty level headed blokes. So something you know. that was quite interesting that happened though on the drive down to um we we went to one of my housemates' parents' place just to hang out for the couple of hours while we were waiting for the for it all to blow over. And on the way down, we. We, we passed another bushfire that just started up as we oh left. God, that, no. that, that was actually starting to smoke up and kind of head towards where we chose to evacuate to. So we're thinking, ah, oh, shit, are we going to have to leave this house now and go somewhere else? Um, they ended up putting that fire out as well, and it was all good. The, those fires were nowhere near as big as the the ones that were going on down at Baldivis and even Espresso. Yeah. WA has been pretty lucky considering um some of the other stuff that's been going on yeah well that's the thing because you're over over in western australia for those who Mm. don't know matt and i are actually on opposite sides of the country (laughs) ta-da and yeah so i'm here in in melbourne in victoria where we've had awful air quality and and from all the smoke from all the the fires over here on the east coast but there's there's been stuff it's been getting a lot less publicity but there have been fires over in western australia as well and Mm. it's it's pretty scary, but but the question that comes to mind that that I really want to dive into that I think is getting getting debated a lot, and I'm hearing a lot of misinformation. It's really pissing me off. What is the link between climate change and these fires? Like it's a it's a big question. It's a loaded question. But like, yes, these fires are, but for the most part, from what I understand, caused by you know lightning storms or lightning strikes or arson or whatever. But but. Is climate change playing a role in these bushfires or are these is this just like standard news for Australia? Like we've always had bushfires. You're right, Kate. We have always had bushfires. Let's sort of unpack that a little bit. What do you need to make a fire? You need fuel. So you mm-hmm. need stuff to burn and that stuff needs to be dry. Yeah. Yeah. So you need quite a dry environment with a lot of evaporation. You need weather conditions mm. to be just right so that when a, a fire kicks off, there's wind to help it grow and all of those kinds of things. Mm. And, of course, you need that spark. You need something to get the fire going, whether that is lightning strike or, I don't know, a sun on a magnifying glass or someone lighting a match, someone dropping a cigarette. There's lots think, of different things. Yeah, that can I heard the the Baldivis one, Matt, that that was near you, got yeah. caused by a guy's boat trailer. Yeah, like a guy the, was the driving along the sides broke. of the road. The wheel broke on this trailer and the sparks that came from the trailer just sparked off into mm. the bush on the side and caused this massive fire that the poor guy, they couldn't he, put yeah. out for like a week it was yeah wow. he was so he felt so bad he went on national tv and apologized and oh, was like wow. i've been vomiting i feel so sick it's all my fault and it's like dude it was an accident but yeah. like but still i mean this is the thing we're all i guess it doesn't matter where you are i didn't realize there were so many fires on mm. the on the west coast but i know so many people who've been affected in the last few weeks mm. myself included i spent quite a few days running from a fire yeah. in, in east gippsland oh, we no. were supposed to be there over new years but we decided to leave just before they closed the roads Good and instead decision. of watching the fireworks or celebrating we drove 10 hours to escape ducking Man. and weaving from all the different bushfires in different states and so many people Flippin know friends terrifying. or family or yeah, yeah. you know workmates or someone else who was going to go down to the beach or who was going mm. to go here or who was just chilling at home and then sort of had to deal with these problems but if we think about those four things that fires need right so mm. they need a lot of fuel we have had three dry years in a row then we need a lot of fuel and it mm-hmm. needs to be dry so we have had three dry years in a row 
across Eastern Australia. Yep. And 2019 was actually Australia's driest year on record. Oh, on record. The driest like year. ever. Yeah, the driest Man. year since records began in 1900 by quite a significant margin. If you yeah, look okay. at the graph on Twitter, you have to click on the image on Twitter to see 2019. It was so dry. Yeah. Like it's it's hidden hidden at the bottom oh of the image. God. It's such a it was such a dry year, right? That's scary. It was also the hottest year on record. Oh, in that's not a good combination. Not by a little bit either. It was we really knocked it out of the park this year with heat. Now, one of the reasons for that is because this year uh, we had what's known as a positive Indian Ocean dipole. So this is yeah, a bit cool. Of those stuff. words. What that do I those understand? words mean? I understood yeah. Indian Ocean, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so a dipole is when you've got two poles, right? Okay. That what, checks out. Di, two, pole, yep, yep. pole. Mm-hmm. Yep, so pole. you've got an mm-hmm. east and west side of the Indian Ocean. Gotcha. And the temperatures on the east and west side of the Indian Ocean kind of seesaw um, as the winds across that Indian Ocean strengthen or weaken. And when the winds across the Indian Ocean strengthen, mm-hmm. right, they blow from the east to the west. Mm-hmm. So they blow kind of towards um, the Western Indian Ocean. And if they're stronger than normal, then they push warm water from the surface across to the west, leaving cool water underneath. You look confused. Yeah. Is that no, 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 that sort of no, no, no. I'm, That's my processing phase. Yeah. I'm okay, processing good. the information. Yeah. So if those winds are stronger than normal, <laughs> then you'll get warmer water to the on the western side of the Indian Ocean. Yeah. Cooler water off the coast of Indonesia. Yes. Right. Cool. That's a positive Indian Ocean dipole. These things happen. Every few years or so. It's kind yep. of like your El Ninos and La Ninas. Yep. I don't know. You might not be super familiar with them, Matt. I the remember West, like briefly reading about El Ninas or whatever it is in like <laughs> year eight NAPLAN. I think in NAPLAN testing, like it came yeah. up briefly and that's literally NAPLAN. the only time I've ever heard of it. So I, I know it's something to do with weather and I know it's, I don't know, presumably something to do with around the equator region because it's in Spanish. Um, yes. That's, that's why <laughs> Good the deduction. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> so El Nino events and La Nina events happen in the Pacific Ocean and this is the same kind of thing. So you okay. can either get, if you have El Nino, which is the boy in Spanish, and it's called that because way back uh, in the way away, the South American fishermen were noticing around Christmas time, the birth of the boy, oh, they would either notice right. yeah. uh, really good fishing levels or really poor fishing levels, depending on the level of nutrients in the water. Mm. And if you've got cool water kind of upwelling or coming up from deeper mm. down, then you've got lots of nutrients, so you'll get good fish. And if you've got lots of warmer surface water sloshing around, then you'll get poorer quality water, so you'll get fewer fish. Right? Yeah. So if you've got good fish in around South America, yeah, yeah. Um, that is what's known as a La Nina event because you've got cool water over there and all the warm surface water gets sloshed to the other side of the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. So we get warm water off the coast of Australia, off the east coast of Australia. Yeah, yeah. That's called an, a La Nina event. And on the other side of the scale, when you get an El Nino event, so mm-hmm. that's the boy, I'm sorry, that's the boy, you get warmer water off the coast of South America, cooler water than normal. Mm-hmm. off our eastern coast. And those two events, a La Nina event, we have more, if you've got more warm water mm-hmm. in the ocean or like on the surface of the ocean, yeah. that means there's more moisture available, it evaporates a little bit more, you get more moisture in the atmosphere, so it's sort of easier to make it rain. Yeah. So these events we generally associate with floods in Australia. Yeah. Okay. Like El Nino events, you normally associate with droughts in Australia. Right. right. So that's the big one. And lots of people on the east coast know just sort of think El Nino mm. equals drought, La Nina equals flood. 
That's okay. one thing that normally happens, right? But nothing was going on in the Pacific Ocean this year. All eyes on the Indian Ocean. Right. Where a positive Indian Ocean dipole, when you have cooler than normal waters off the coast of Indonesia, mm-hmm. means that it cuts off a really important source of, source of moisture for us. Okay. So we would, we had fewer clouds. We had a lot less rain this year. Yeah. So coming all the way back to the fires. Yeah. Sorry for the climate science 101. Oh, no, no, that's good. That's necessary. I'm not <laughs> climate scientist. Because I gave literally none of that, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think that the oceans that are far away from us can really affect our weather. Yeah, climate, just, just to so clarify wild. real quick, it's been a very long time since I've done geography and I don't have a globe handy. The Indian Ocean, that's off the north of Australia, isn't it? Yes. Near, yep. like, India. So it's like we've got the Pacific on the east, the Indian at the mm-hmm. north, and then is it the Atlantic to the west? No, that's, like, near America. I don't, I don't know. Isn't Atlantic? <laughs> oh. No, what, I think what, what? the Indian Ocean The Indian Ocean is kind of to our north and to our west. Oh, okay. So the, the Atlantic yeah, kind of wraps around. Right, yeah, okay. and then it turns into the Southern Ocean underneath. Right, okay. Yeah, right. the Atlantic, we don't... Um, it's somewhere else. Sure, sure. Okay. The Indian Ocean's just kind of real big and gives us a nice little booty hug around the side of West Australia and Northern Australia. So, like, the Indian Ocean is the big spoon to Australia's little spoon. Let's go with that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I see that. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. I'm picturing it. <laughs> yeah, Pacific off the East Coast, awesome. Indian off the West Coast. What was I saying? Fires. Fires. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, we have had the strongest positive Indian Ocean dipole event that's ever been recorded this year, which is interesting. We'll come to the climate change question in Mm -hmm. a minute. Now I'm still thinking about what fires need. Yeah. So it's been really dry. It's been really hot. Yep. Okay. It's been really dry so that we haven't had that much rain. So we've also had fewer clouds, which in addition to the heat has helped evaporate a lot of moisture, Mm. right, from the soil. So the soil and the trees, lots of different trees, including rainforests, are like bone, bone dry. Yes. yes. So we've got lots Not of fuel. Ideal. We, the reason that we have lots of fuel, maybe, I mean, it's a complicated question and I don't want to get mm. into fuel reduction burning and the uh, politics behind yeah, those kinds of things. Yeah. But mm. what I will say from a climate point of view is that normally people will reduce the amount of fuel that there is by doing burns in yep. the cool season, right? Yep. When it's safe, when the weather's quite calm. So if you do light a fire, it's not going to get out of control. Mm, but we haven't been able to do that, right? Exactly. Because yeah. the cool season's yeah. been getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Exactly. <gasps> yeah. So there hasn't been as many opportunities this year to reduce the amount of fuel. Yeah. Because yeah. temperatures are warmer. Yeah. Because the weather's been, um, you know, things are hotter and the, the window's getting smaller and smaller to be mm. able to do that. So there's your first sign of climate change yep. there, right? Yeah. So we had lots of fuel. It was very dry. Honestly, that's even enough to just convince me that it's climate yeah. change's fault. I hate that you're <laughs> like, that's the first sign. Well, it's hard this year. There's more. I think the communicator in me and the person that really wants climate action in me is like, yes, it's all climate change, mm. all of it. And actually the science behind bushfires and climate change has been there for a really long time. Yep. Like there have been reports since the mid-2000s, even yeah. earlier. I saw a report online today that was published in the late 80s that were like, "Oh wow, climate change and bushfires is bad. There have been people researching this in Australia for 40 years and it's been very clear for a long time Mm. that increasing the amount of greenhouse gases, increasing the amount of energy in the atmosphere, increasing the temperatures will make bushfire seasons longer, bushfires more intense and more frequent. But this year has been interesting. Like as a scientist, you need to kind of look through all the different ingredients Mm. and be like, where's Mm. the climate change signal there? Where's the climate change signal there? From the fuel point of view, mm-hmm. yes, you can definitely yeah, see that definitely. signal. I, I think, anyway, mm-hmm. not knowing a lot about 
fire management, but understanding that kind of fuel relationship and thinking also this year that, you know, places burnt that weren't supposed to burn, you know, rainforests burned this year. Yeah, Yeah, I read about that just earlier today, actually, why the fires are so much bigger and more severe than they have been in the previous years, that these rainforests that are supposed to be permanently wet and as a result of that unable to catch fire because it's not dry fuel, you can't Mm. go throwing a wet log on a campfire, you'll just get smoke. Um, have been dry enough to go up in flames as well. And we've been losing these massive forests that, to my knowledge in our history, yeah. haven't really been burnt yeah. before. Yeah, these are Gondwana land level forests, yeah, you know, they're sort of yeah. dinosaur age type ecosystems. Man. And that, you know, seeing a polar bear on a, a melting iceberg makes me sad. But thinking of a rainforest burning, that mm. really undoes me. It really breaks my heart to oh, think of that. Yeah, honestly, that's um, that's terrifying yeah. because like... Like how old would some of the oldest trees in these rainforests be, do you reckon? I've got no idea. I did see an article, you know, the Woolamai pine, that really, really ancient dinosaur pine mm. that's off, uh, that lives in the Woolamai National Park yeah, yeah, to yeah, the west yeah. of Sydney. And how they rescued that. They managed yeah, I to... saw that. Oh, so good. So beautiful. I haven't heard this story. Oh, so the wool of my pine mm. was only discovered in the 80s. Some of the trees in this small, the only wild population of wool of my pines that they, mm. they think exist in the whole world might be as old, I read, as 100 thousand years yeah you know? they're like well they're called dinosaur trees they're like di- they're like eight think of how old dinosaurs are like that sort of oh, you know that's yeah. these are the sorts of trees that dinosaurs were stomping around with yeah and they're still here yeah there's a secret plant not plantation wild population of them so secret that nobody is allowed to know where it is in case mm. people tr- you know trample all over it and, and contaminate ruin it, it because humans suck <laughs> people just get excited and they don't clean their boots it's you because know because humans yeah. suck Lyndon. some Sometimes, yes, some <laughs> humans do suck, but some humans would just be really eager beavers and would be no, like, I want to right. see those pines, you're right. but then they'd like bring in all sorts of contaminants and yeah, stuff. Anyway, yeah. the Wilmai pines are under threat and so the New South Wales government did a whole like secret mission to try to protect <laughs> them and they managed to protect them, yeah. which is... Oh, I'd love to yeah, see yeah. a movie made about that secret mission oh, to oh save the 100% the there will be. I there will be a movie. exactly the same thing. Uh, yeah. I will watch that TV show and yeah. I will cry TV like show, a little girl. TV show, movie, doco. Yeah. Book. Absolutely. All of it. I want all of it. But, I mean, they're the oldest trees that I know of, and I imagine some of those rainforest trees, if not that particular tree, then that species mm. and that environment have mm. been around, you know, really a really long time. Um, anyway, so coming back to the climate change thing, yes, mm. this positive Indian Ocean dipole event thing yeah, yeah. is very – it's the, the strongest one we've seen on record, mm. and that is a driver of a lot of the dry that happened this year. Mm-hmm. Finding the climate change fingerprint on that is a bit trickier. Yeah, but okay. some researchers have suggested that these kind of events will happen more in the future and be more extreme Crazy. because one side of the Indian Ocean is heating up more than the other side. That's what we want, more I know. of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other thing that happened that made this year particularly just perfect for bushfires, perfect's mm. not the word. What's the word for like perfect but awful? <laughs> Diabolical. <Ideal. laughs> yeah. No, C- catastrophic, I suppose, is the word I'm looking for. Yep. Is that uh, the weather systems that we normally get that swing around the Southern Ocean. You know, you're in, you're in Perth, Matt, we're here in Melbourne. You get those cold fronts mm. that bring like big weather changes, big temperature mm-hmm. changes. Those kind of patterns moved mm. a little bit further north than normal. Uh, okay. for the last couple of months of the year due to some crazy shit that was going on above. 
above Antarctica, uh, which is another conversation for another day. Yeah, yeah. The climate change signal there, there's not that much of a signal that we can see. It was just a really rare thing that mm. happens sometimes above Antarctica that then trickles down to the layer of the atmosphere where yeah. our weather is and um, really moves our weather systems around. And mm. there was science that was published earlier this year actually saying if that happens, bushfire risk is really increased. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. And it's what happened. Yeah. And as a scientist, you're like, oh, geez, you don't say this very often. This is exciting. Like it's good data collection, but also <laughs> shit, I hope but this also, doesn't actually happen because shit. this is, um, this could be really bad. And that's exactly and what happened. It has yeah. been really bad. Yeah. It's been devastatingly yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. So my feeling and my understanding of the science is that climate change is grubby fingerprints are all over these mm, fires. That's yeah. And I'm not the only one who says that. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. You've got to listen to lots of scientists. You can't just listen to one. You have to weigh up yeah, the evidence, yeah, yeah. right, and always be sceptical. Sure. But lots of scientists have been saying this for a real yeah. long time. Is, is this large event that's been happening in the, the Indian Ocean, what was it? Was it La, La Nina or El Nino? It's an India positive Indian Ocean Dipole. doesn't have positive, a sexy Spanish name. Positive Indian Sorry. Ocean Dipole. I think that's far that's... sexier. Um, <laughs> A P I O D. P I O D. A P O D. P O D. P O D. Love me a good P O D. But has that got something to do with the cyclone that's been brewing at the northwest of Australia? Wait, wait, there's a cyclone as well? Oh, well, sort of like the I early beginnings this. of a cyclone. It's oh, like, I don't know. I, I read me. I read about this a few days ago, so it might have been in Gorn, but I, I do remember reading that there's like very severe storms in kind of the northwest around Broome, mm-hmm. kind of going up mm-hmm. towards the Northern Territory. That could be the beginnings of a cyclone. Interestingly, the cyclone is a signal that the Piod which is a name we've mm. just made up, by the way. No one in the <laughs> community calls them that. We're coining it now. If you start using it, you owe your royalties to Curiosity Killed the Rat. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the fact that cyclones are developing and we're finally getting thunderstorms up in Darwin is a sign that the Piod is breaking down. which is good. And so in the last week, you know, we've started to get the monsoon rains. Mm -hmm. Before that, the monsoon kind of arrived late in the northern part of Australia this year, which meant heat could just build and build and build and build and build over the country without any rain to sort of, or clouds to dissipate Mm. it. And so that's why we've had a lot of heat waves, particularly in December. Uh, but now mm. we are starting to see some of that rain. The peod's breaking down. Oh, so there's awesome. rain Relief happening. There's rain falling on the east coast. There's there's cyclones coming and I've, there'll be more before the season's mm. out. Because you've got to remember too, like we're recording this in the middle of January. We've still got <laughs> two months of summer to True. go. Yeah, summer. That's the like craziest not even... part of the fires to me is that they all kind of sparked up. You know, it was still spring, you know. It, we were barely yeah. in bushfire season. You know, we weren't. Mm. Fires do happen yet. in spring pretty regularly, mm. I reckon, in New South Wales. But, but not to the same but extent. But not to the, you're right, not, not to the same extent. And I think that edge, that envelope of when they start, is just moving further and further into wintertime, mm. which sucks because we need sort of the American firefighters. And if they're over there fighting their fires or they need us. Yeah, because like they get some pretty bad fires over there as well, especially what? in like California and stuff. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. If we weren't depressed enough already, sorry, <laughs> this has been a really downer of an episode, but I just, I think it's a really important topic it's important to talk about. Enough to, it's, it's a huge topic that's really hard to address without being a little bit depressing about it because it is a depressing topic, but yeah. it needs to be yeah. addressed because it's happening right now. The, the fires it are is. still going right now as we speak, right? Like, yeah. People still... have lost 
everything. Arms, and, lives. And my next depressing follow-up was going to be, so these fires, I, I read, read somewhere that they are, um, well, the, fire, the, the fires alone have released 400 million metric tons of CO2 into the atmosphere, which is more than the total combined annual emissions of the 116 lowest emitting countries. That's the yeah. statistic I read. Like that, what? That is like like Australia. We we get a bad rap for our for our CO two emissions as it is from like you know coal mining and 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 stuff like that. But you know bushfires, stuff that's to an extent out of our out of our control. Like that's that's making climate change worse. Is this just like a you know self perpetuating spiral of doom that we've found <laughs> ourselves in? <laughs> Sorry to be dramatic, but like <laughs> an awful feedback loop of flames and smoke and hellscape. <laughs> Okay, I I will pump the science brakes there for please. a second. Mm. Everyone, take a deep breath. Calm me down, please. Don't worry, climate change. <laughs> continue to worry. Climate change is really <laughs> okay. Continue to worry. Get worse. Cool, done. But for bushfires, you're right. Four hundred. I've read that as well. Four hundred mm. million tons of carbon dioxide being emitted by these fires. Mm. The I think annually Australia, our budget is five hundred and thirty million. Right. So we've used up almost all of it. Well, sort of, but. No, that's kind of our emissions from industry, right? right. So when it, okay, oh yeah. I'm so what on. I yep. know, what I understand for bushfires is that they are generally, on balance, carbon neutral. Okay, how does that work? Because bushfires do happen. They have always. We've always had bushfires in Australia. There've been bushfires. Bushfires are mm-hmm. a thing that happen yep. naturally. Okay. Have happened before we started oh, pumping all of this carbon into the atmosphere at the start of the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you burn a bunch of bush or grass, whatever it is, that grass and those those trees will regrow. And when they do, yeah, they okay. take up carbon dioxide. New trees yeah. are better, from what I understand, okay. at soaking up CO two. So, okay. on balance that is a carbon neutral activity. If you think about the whole planet and you think about the specific beautiful temperature at which all of the species on the planet have evolved, Mm. they have evolved with these short-term variations of bushfires or volcanoes Mm. kind of in mind. Small short-term changes where um, emitting carbon dioxide and then sucking it back up again kind of happens. But do you think with the with the increased like scale and and length of time that the bushfire season is lasting and just pure, you know, acreage that the bushfires are covering, like are we going to be burning out far more than we're going to be regrowing like now compared yeah, that, to in see, the past? you're totally right there, Kate, because that's yeah. exactly the point. Now that these bushfires are happening more often – and they're larger, mm. the forests don't have time. Mm. They don't have enough of a chance to suck that carbon back up uh, into the atmosphere. So I think that I think it's like the science or the maths mm. of doing that, you know, mm. how much is taken up versus how much is emitted and how that's quite yeah. messy, I reckon. It's yeah. not... It's not a. Mm, uh, in some way. respects, like the atmosphere doesn't really care where the carbon comes from. It's there or it's not there. Yeah. Um, but trying to figure out how much less efficient yeah. forests, bush is now yeah. at soaking up carbon. Because um, you've got to think about the types of leaves, how fast they're growing, how much water they require to grow, mm. you know, because soil can also where take up more. come from? Exactly, take up carbon. And if the soil is really dry, is it going to take up carbon or is it not going to take up carbon? Like that is. 
That is complicated science. Could a, could um, a, valuable but complicated. Could another weird aspect be um, in in like next year or the next couple of years because of the massive scale that's actually burnt down in this last year or so, the next couple of years we might see less bushfires just because there's literally nothing left to burn. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, good question. Fewer bushfires in the future. Well, I mean, there's still a bit to burn, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's not just Australia to burn. There's That's true. I ha- so I had a bit of a look at uh, there's a satellite that's run by the US and they kind of look at how much area has been burnt. Mm-hmm. And Victoria, so far, it's been sort of the third largest area burnt since the satellite was launched. Mm-hmm. There were bushfires a long time ago, you know, yeah. back in, I think it was, I think it was 1851. Mm. Might have been 1939. They've always, you know, how we've got a Black Saturday. There's, we, there's a Black Friday, yeah. a Black Thursday. One mm. of those black days, a quarter of Victoria burnt. Yeah, wow. Um, which is that's huge. That's huge. That's huge. When, and when that's, did that happen? It was either 1939 or 1851. Both very, of those very days, similar dates. Okay. Both <laughs> of those days, very black days. Um, both of those days cause a lot of destruction right. and devastation. It yeah. Might have been 1939, I think. Um, so Victoria is like the third largest area that's burnt since the mm. satellite went up, which I think might have been in the 80s or maybe the early 90s. The New South Wales fires, it's bigger. It's like bigger, four yeah. times as big as the biggest amount of area I that's burnt some before. graph where yeah. of New South Wales where it was just like this mm. time was just like yeah. obscenely. Over a, over a yeah. year, I suppose. And, and the Queensland fires, there has been an area burnt. But, of course, there are fires in northern Queensland every year, just as there are fires in northern Australia mm. every year as well. And so balancing those out... What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that I still think there's shit that can be burnt. Yeah, um, okay. And mm. and what we what I have seen or what I understand from some ecosystems is that they are they are able to be burnt at a frequency that they are not not that's not healthy for them. You know, lots yeah. of Australian trees and even insects and animals like they need the fire to rejuvenate and to um, mm-hmm. to grow and to the, and those kinds of things. Yeah, but that's because I believe they've evolved to deal with to, it. Yeah, exactly. To yeah. deal with that at a certain frequency, you know. Yeah. Like the Alpine National Park, for example, Alpine uh, gum trees, mm. I, they haven't evolved to burn down every five years. And no. that's very hard to recover, on, yeah. recover from. So yeah. it, it would be nice to be optimistic and think there's not much left to burn. And maybe you're right. But we're not out of the woods yet. Pardon yeah. The pun. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm not quite sure about that. Oh man. Mm. Well, was was there anything else that you wanted to? I'm trying to think of something positive. Is there anything I optimistic? Because it's been a very very doom and gloom episode. A very depressing yeah. episode so far. Okay, let me have a think. Positives that I can see from this horrible tragedy. Mm. This is a perfect example of what the future might look like, which, yes, is freaking... T- <laughs> How is that I know, positive? No, it's, it's freaking terrifying, but it has really brought people internationally together. Yeah, and they're like, actually, that's whoa, true. Whoa, 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 Huge. Exactly. Like, yeah. don't mess with the koalas. Do you know what I mean? And I think <laughs> and this... And the wombats, oh, my gosh, the story about oh, the wombats yeah. shepherding the little animals into their burrows. I just, uh. I teared up. <laughs> 
I'm not sure if that's actual science. I, oh, really? Yeah, I, I know. I'm like, really oh, sorry. I, as much I'm as I loved that headline, when things. I saw it, I was kind of like, oh, I mean, I haven't fact-checked this at all. And no, it just seems too good to be true. It's just... Lots oh. of animals use wombat burrows, but I don't think Senor Wombat is being like, come with me if you want to live. I don't really think that's the, the, Like, my favourite was, like, the Lord of the Rings meme. With the, oh, uh, yeah. Heartbroken. I mean, I first saw that, like posted on like a particular political party's website and they were using it against another political party and I was kind of like ah as wholesome <laughs> okay. as that story is it's probably like they're probably just making it up to to for a certain mm, agenda which is yeah. unfortunate <laughs> the wombats deserve a mention there's a really great article in the conversation about how yeah. wombat burrows are super important for survival of lots of species during yeah. fire but it's not actually the wombats doing wombats are bastards like well, their yeah, bums that's... can smash human skulls like they are hardcore what yeah yeah that's Okay, I'm ter- I'm terrified of wombats now. Cool. <laughs> Add that to the okay. list of anxieties. Let me think about the positive things. <laughs> the, the bushfires have really brought people together. It's really galvanized the community. How many incredible yeah, stories have you heard no, of people helping, of so people volunteering, of people giving? It's really mm. motivating to see how many people really care, right? Mm. It's incredible to me. These fires are so huge, 10 million hectares burnt, mm. and yet the loss of life has been much less yeah. than, say, the Black Saturday fires 10 That's years ago. That's actually true. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, I, I can't remember what the death toll is currently. I want to say... It's around 25 last 25, I read. Which is still 25 more than it should be. That still in itself is a tragedy. However, compared mm. to the lives lost in many, many other, like bushfire tragedies as you mentioned it's it's outstanding mm. i mean we lost half a billion animals yeah. but at least yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see when the when it all calms down a bit and and the scientists check how many animals have gone endangered or maybe even extinct um, sometimes people be like oh you're a climate scientist that must be really hard and you know working with mm. the depressing stuff all day but ecologists and botanists and biologists they just see they yeah. see it so much more, oh, you know. Yeah. Climate data doesn't look you in the eye yeah, with its cute little face. Say, save me. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. All right, positive things. Positive um, things. Another positive thing that I've thought of, this is pure speculation, right? Yeah. And this comes back to Climate Science 101. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about volcanic eruptions before. And if you mm-hmm. have a big volcanic eruption, mm-hmm. right, uh, in the past we've seen it, you get a lot of stuff being spewed high up into the atmosphere, mm-hmm. right? And that often can shelter the earth from some of the sun's energy. For a year or two sometimes, you can see a small decrease in global temperature for a year or two, maybe just one year. Yeah, Yeah. so like Mount Pinatubo erupted in 1991 and you can see that on the global temperature record, Mm. like the temperature dropped. So... Again, pure speculation. I've done no modelling on this. Is that kind of like the same basis as the whole idea of a nuclear winter? Like the idea of a nuclear apocalypse happens and there's just mushroom clouds everywhere and all the debris goes up, blocks out enough sunlight that the world goes into sort of a a mini ice age. Well, maybe not a full ice age. If it was a nuclear apocalypse scenario, then yeah, it might be a mini ice age kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's a lot of strong science behind that. And that's exactly sort of what a nuclear winter is. And Mm. Some of these fires were so big and so strong that 
and the weather conditions were just mm. right that they created their own thunderstorms and so they shot oh. some smoke and cloud high up into the atmosphere. I don't know if you've seen the videos online of the smoke no. kind of circumnavigating Oh, actually, the yeah, Earth. yeah, yeah. I heard should about be, it. I haven't seen the video, should be but in I Perth about it. any time now. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, we've been missing out on the smoke over here. We've been we've been blue skies mm. all around. It's, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, except for the few fires that have popped off. <laughs> a couple of days ago, I was talking about, oh, man, you know, I'm getting a lot of Survivors Guild over in WA because we're really not seeing the worst of the fires like what they're getting over in the eastern states but it's still happening in the same country you know where there's a lot of family over there and that and like the next day we got evacuated and and that as well yeah. so it was kind yeah. of that like, was really know. funny yeah well not funny <laughs> funny is the wrong oh, word yeah. i think some Just big crazy. fires have still happened in wa like in um around esperance that sort of area mm, for a little mm-hmm. bit a lot of the grocery shops had things up saying where we, we can't get a lot of produce in because of the fires that are in esperance kind well, of around esperance that is Nullabore. Just so remote it's, like esperance is, is a good for those of you who don't know it's Oh, how many hour drive from Perth? At least eight hours. At least drive eight hours if you're non-stopping it and um, cutting like through the middle. It's sort of it's on the south coast, yeah. but in Western Australia. It's, all, it's like yeah, as south as you can get, and it's it's a long way away from any big cities. Um, it would be like a lot of those coastal communities in the eastern part, like Mallacoota or Eden, yeah. Marimbula. Mm-hmm. Equidistant exactly. from Melbourne and Sydney, eight hours mm. each yeah. way. Yeah. Um, very Similar hard situation, to which is just so of. unfortunate that those are the places going up in smoke, like in flames, because yeah. it's, yeah. But, you know. But so the positive of that was that maybe, maybe, I haven't done any modeling on mm. this, maybe these big clouds have sent some smoke up into high enough up into the atmosphere yeah. that they might act as. To help us buy us a couple more years, yeah. or even six more months of slightly, Look, slightly we'll take whatever we can get at this point, right? Like we're, yeah. <laughs> Look, all right. Let's let's focus on that that actual positive of how well everyone has rallied together, and it's been amazing seeing the the international celebrities and and you know even Australian born celebrities really driving the the fundraising and the the support and that and yeah I never thought I'd hear I never thought I'd retweet Russell Crowe I love Russell Crowe <laughs> he was like respect the no. science and I thought yeah man he was good in everything was, except lame is I was I was gonna say <laughs> Russell Crowe ruined my favorite musical character ever oh but, yeah you know, Javert oh anyway the very poor cast apart from choice. that wholesome gentleman fine. just not the best baritone <laughs> But I we won't that. judge Russell Crowe. <laughs> you know what? I will. I've judged Russell Crowe. But he, <laughs> he, he respects the science and I respect him for that. No, what I, where I was going to go with that is is we, in terms of everyone rallying together, Matt, I believe you've, you've pulled together a few little a few little um, – I have. I can't think of the word. Charities is the uh, word you're looking for. If you are sitting at home right now listening to this podcast being like, well, shh. Shit. This sucks. I was reeling for Is some there hopeful I can things do? I could do, but now I'm just feeling more hopeless. Well, feel yeah. hopeless no more, dear listener. For do we have the deal for you? A number of charities. <laughs> <laughs> Best places to to chuck your money and your love and your support at if you want to help people affected by these bushfires. Right. Take it away, Matt. I did I did a little bit of research and the, the main two big major charity organizations that are doing a lot of work for places are the Red Cross and the RSPCA. So the Red Cross, you know, obviously helping out the people and the families affected by the bushfires. And the RSPCA Mm -hmm. is actually, you know, actively trying to help all of the animals that haven't been killed by the bushfires, but have been, you know, displaced because their habitats have been completely destroyed or may have been injured by the fires as well. Um, I've also found a um, charity organization called the Animal Rescue Collective, 
Um, basically, these guys are a, they're a pig body of uh, kind of underfunded animal rescue organizations. They have specialized knowledge about their specific areas. So it's kind of a more, if you, if you don't want to support, you know, big charities, you know, you want to go more of a local level, that's an option you can go with as well. And depending on what state you're in as well, um, I found one for the Victorian Bushfires, the Community Enterprise Foundation. Um, They've partnered up with the Victorian government, Bendigo Bank and the Salvation Army. Um, And then I've also got a link to Emergency WA that has a number of different links for various rural bushfire services around WA, as well as a couple of larger charity organizations. And then at the bottom of the list as well, I found a list of charities that has been released by the Australian government. That's just a complete list of all of these different charities, depending what you want to support, whether you want to support the fire services, animal services, people displaced, um, and all of them have been vetted by um, the ACNC, which is the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission. And on this website as well, they have a link to um, a place where you can look up a charity's ABN or search up the name of the charity and you can like confirm whether or not this charity is legit or whether yeah, they're because because there has been a little bit of misinformation spread around and like a couple of scam charity things <sighs> set up trying to like say that they raise money for the bushfires but they're not really or they're not sending yeah. it to the right place um so it's a way to double check that or fact check if there are any other charities you wanted to support as well yeah well, all of these links that Matt's just talked about, we'll chuck up in the in the description um, of this podcast, so you sh- you'll be able to find them all there if you, if you want to reach out and 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 chuck a bit of coin, do your bit to to feel a little bit less helpless in do this. Do your whole... bit to feel less shit. Yeah, do your bit to feel less shit. I like that. That's great. Um, yeah. So with that, should we should we scoot along to the um, to the fun part of the podcast? The fun part of the podcast. The listener question. <laughs> This whole thing has been a drag up until now. No, I hate that. Um, it has been pretty heavy. Surely, surely, we, you know, we've talked about quite some some heavy stuff today, mm. some pretty mm. sad things. So surely the question from the listener, you, you knew that you had a climate scientist coming in, mm. you had a question that was perky, something about, you know, our beautiful planet's climate that had nothing to do with climate change, something yeah. perky, yeah. something happy? Yeah, no. Oh. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, look... Look, so the question we have is it's a really interesting question um, from Nige is why does the lack of natural light make people sad? So like people living in, you know, the the top of the northern hemisphere or, or people who work in, in windowless workplaces, like what is it about the lack of natural light that can really make people depressed? <laughs> I don't laugh at people being depressed. I just mm. laugh at how depressing this episode is. I am so sorry, guys. Please keep listening to the show. <sighs> That's also like tied into seasonal depression disorder, isn't it? Where well, like, exactly, people, people exactly. People get more sad in in winter time because there's less light level. I don't know why that is, but yeah. I just know well, it's so- a thing. That's that's the thing. I was going to say, like, seasonality is 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 a real thing, and it affects you know the majority of people, but it it can manifest in its most extreme form as seasonal affective disorder, quite aptly shortened to SAD. Sad. Same. Um, yeah, yeah. Seasonal <laughs> affective disorder. So, I don't know, Lyndon. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to talk about I it? I kind of feel like this topic is something that you would know more about than me. I mean, my little understanding mm. of seasonal affective disorder, apart from that, it's a real thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. You know, it's in the, the massive book of disorders that lots of psychologists refer to. and statistical manual. That's the one. Yep. And, you know, there have been studies done in the past 
that have exposed people to light and then their symptoms have kind of mm-hmm. gone away. But the actual part behind it, when I read about it, I was like, that's a neuroscience question. <laughs> it Kate's is. Kate's like, I'll bring you a climate question, but I know, and that's then a I, lie. I, I brought you a climate question masquerading <laughs> as a neuroscience question. Um, so she could say, don't know where I'll answer this one. <laughs> I was like, oh, what, um, you, our expert, don't know? Hey, I might know something. I, too, am an expert. It's anyway. almost like my ego is so big that I couldn't deal with not being the star of an episode. <laughs> uh, so seasonal affective disorder, or even just, you know, if, if you don't reach the diagnostic criteria to be diagnosed with this, but you still do feel gloomy on on days where it's cloudy, or if you spend all day in a room with is no windows. Is it just one day, though, or does it need to be, like, prolonged to get exposure. to get a diagnosis, you need to experience like clinical depression at the same seasonal time of year. Um, so to reach the clinical diagno- clinical depression diagnosis, you need to have been depressed for two weeks or more, and you need to have experienced for it for two years or more in a seasonal manner to get the actual diagnosis. Um, but it does affect a lot of people. Like you can spend a day inside and find yourself feeling sad, and that's a totally like that's a human normal fine like thing that's mm. yeah it's a real thing and there's there's essentially two different hypotheses that kind of you know it can be a bit of both sort of bit of column a bit of column b situation here we're not really sure exactly what's causing it but it's most likely to be a combination of these two different things the first one is circadian rhythms so you know your body's internal clock so we all have this internal clock, and as you probably know, because you know you experience jet lag, right? If you if you fly somewhere in a completely different time zone, you're going to feel out of whack, and it's because there's a lot of biological systems in our body that work on a 24 hour cycle, and the way that your body keeps this clock, you know, ticking in its in its nice 24 hour cycle, it's like well, it's a super complex thing, but essentially a big factor that helps regulate it is exposure to natural light. Or, or certain wavelengths of artificial light if you're if you're matching the wavelengths of... Um, does, does that turn different things off and on kind of yeah. in the brain? So if you think about it, light enters through our eyeballs. Makes sense, right? Um, light comes in through our eyes, hits our retina, travels down the optic nerve and goes to a part of our brain that's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Which is, which is just fancy talk for just like a little part of our brain that's in our hypothalamus. So there's this part of our brain, what it does is it relays signals about how light it is outside or how much exposure you have to light to the pineal gland, which is a gland that releases a bunch of different hormones. But, but the important one for this particular instance is, is melatonin. And you might have heard of melatonin That's as the like, sleepy you know, sleep pill. Yeah, the sleep hormone, the sleepy sleep. So melatonin gets released when it's dark outside. So when it when it's light outside and your pineal gland is is getting these signals of light, it stops releasing melatonin. And what melatonin does, it essentially it, it lowers your heart rate, it lowers your body's temperature, it essentially it creates ideal situations in your body that make it easier for you to fall asleep. Right. Um, And so the opposite, obviously, when you have no melatonin, it keeps you awake. So if you think about it, this kind of this kind of makes sense. So if you're not getting a lot of light, if you're spending all all day in the dark or in artificial light, that's not the right wavelengths to be, you know, releasing um, to be stopping the release of melatonin. Like, of course, you're going to feel really like lethargic and tired and gloomy and generally unmotivated to get out of bed, right? Because you're just, you're getting almost overexposure of this, this melatonin hormone that makes you, makes you sleepy. 
And that's just one 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 side of the story. The second the second one is vitamin D. So so we all know go outside to get vitamin D, right? Like that that's a thing that everyone it's it's well associated the sun and vitamin D. Um, but vitamin D is a really cool vitamin. I mean, most vitamins are really cool vitamins. I don't I don't want to shit on any other. I don't want to shit on any uh, other vitamins. vitamins. Cool I'm thing. with Matt. I mean, it, oh man, look at that cool guy. He takes a multivitamin every day, bro. Well, okay. Whoa. Well, man, he doesn't even need a skateboard, bro. He's got his he's got his centrum <laughs> with him. Not sponsored. Look, I don't know. Vitamin B helps with I don't know vision. I think I'm just making shit up now. Vitamin C helps with iron absorption, which gives you energy. Vitamins play all. They all have their role to play. But the the cool thing about vitamin D is that it on its own can also act as a hormone. Wow. Right. So yeah. So when you either like you can eat vitamin D, like supplements or whatever in food, or you can absorb it through your skin or your skin actually synthesizes it with sunlight. It's really cool. But once you get it into your body, it goes into the liver and the kidneys where it is converted into its active hormone form, which sounds really like crazy. But yeah, vitamin D is essentially turned into a hormone in your liver and your kidneys. And this hormone can actually activate genes in your body that regulate the release of a bunch of neurotransmitters, some of which you might recognize. Dopamine, serotonin. The fun ones. You know? The happy, good the time, ones, feel good the ones. The happy, yeah. So, you know, dopamine is associated with feelings of reward and, and serotonin is, is well associated with mood and depression. Our, you know, our main treatment for depression is, is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which work to increase the amount of serotonin in our brains. And so vitamin D, if you're vitamin D deficient, you are possibly not releasing as much or not getting the signal to release as much serotonin as you would if you had the right amount of vitamin D. So this is vitamin D will cure my depression? Yes. <laughs> Do some yoga in the sun and you'll be happy as Larry. No. It, as with <laughs> as with all, you know, mental illness things, it's 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 never that simple. It's never that simple. But but definitely like, you know, spend some time out in the sun, get some vitamin D in your system and and you might find it does play like a small role in helping elevate your mood. So and for those people who can't do that, you know, people who live north of the Arctic mm. Circle or whatever, what what should they do? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Could Move. vitamin D <laughs> could, could vitamin D supplements help? Well, yeah. See, vitamin vitamin D supplements are a thing, and they have developed a thing called called phototherapy or essentially light therapy, which is these certain types of like lamps or light globes that are different to your normal kind of halogen lights that you find in houses. That they actually release light of the correct wavelength that sort of simulates natural light, and that can that has been shown to help people suffering from from depression and stuff, um, especially like, yeah, seasonal affective disorder or seasonal depression. Um, so, you, yeah, the, the, you, can, you can find ways to get your vitamin D if you don't get exposure to sunlight. But if, if you are someone that is prone to developing this disorder and you, you get quite severe depression when you don't get natural light, you know, my biggest suggestion, I, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, don't take my advice seriously, but my my biggest suggestion would be take a holiday somewhere sunny or maybe consider relocate. Like if, if depression is seriously derailing your life to the point that, you know, you don't want to get out of bed, you're not happy, you're having thoughts of suicide, 
and you're living somewhere where you're getting no sunlight, like it, it might be a legitimate thing worth considering is, is moving somewhere more close to the equator where you get more sun or you get more, yeah. I hate to bring it back to me, but I'm going to. <laughs> Because I'm the two special egos guest. fighting each other. No, I go. have the microphone. No, this is why I love weather and climate science because mm. there's nothing that it doesn't affect in mm. some way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I guess right. no matter what we do, we're existing in the atmosphere. We have to Ex- still breathe yeah. the air. We're affected mm-hmm. by the weather. Exactly. It affects what you wear, what you eat, how you feel. Mm. You know, mm. all the resources that you use. I. I don't know. I feel like that's neuroscience is mm. so incredible, and there's so many amazing fields of science. But the more I learn, all of science is amazing. The more I learn about different fields of science, the more I'm. You're like it all comes back to climate. It all comes back to weather and climate. <laughs> See, but, I told you the question was somewhat climate yeah, I related. I liked it. Well, with with <laughs> um, climate science, I I think for myself at least, and probably a large number of people listening, all I can think about when I think about climate science is you know. Climate change, greenhouse gases, global warming, yada, yada, yada. It's it's all very doom and gloom and all about that kind of stuff. Mm. Is there anything, What what is there any other aspects to climate change that isn't about <laughs> that? Is there, what else is climate? Aspects to climate change, you mean aspects to climate science? Climate science, sorry, yeah. Yeah, there's lots and lots of climate science that is done that is not about climate change, or it tries to be, you know, we're trying to figure mm. out how different types of clouds form and where they form and if, you know, that mm. affects the type of rain that falls. Uh, you're trying to figure out what kind of weather patterns make it really hot or make it really cold in various parts of the world and where do those weather patterns originate, you know? Like I've done a project looking at really, really cold days in Melbourne and Perth and I traced those weather patterns back to something that happened in South America like the week before, you know, how the atmosphere is all connected, how what's happening in the equator affects what happens, what's happening at the poles, how these El Nino and La Nina, like these random variations in one ocean can affect heat Mm. waves on the other side of the world. Like that stuff is so fascinating how it's all connected. It's very interconnected. It is so interconnected Mm. and I think – I mean, I can't speak for all climate scientists, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to study that. People want to study those crazy interactions, Mm. but we can't because the system is changing so fast that you're Mm. like, oh, but now it's not happening anymore and now it's not happening the way it used to. So you end up studying the trends as much as you're studying the actual behaviour itself, Mm. which is really important and that's why we're here. But I think some climate scientists would be like, no, I don't want to, I didn't want to study the climate change. I wanted to study the, the climate science because yeah. there's lots and lots to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, the more, the more that I look into all of these different like pockets of science and area of science, the more you kind of realize that there's just, there's so much we don't know. Mm. Right. And there's just so much to learn and it's just so exciting. And that's I just, just oh. on earth. Like, yeah, oh, there's the whole thing. fucking universe out there. Like, my biggest interest in science in school and what I thought about doing was, like, astrophysics and physics and that sort of stuff because I'm just so fascinated by how mm. fucking huge the damn universe is, how big everything is, how stars work and all that. And that's just a whole nother fucking kettle of fish. But there's, even just on our planet, there's so much going on on, on this mm. small scale and just mm. science is a beautiful way to explore it all. There's so many different fields, so many different facets, no matter what 
in particular piques your interest. There's a science out there for it. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And it's funny, the more I learn about science and different components of how the natural world works, like there's, the more mm. that I progress as a scientist, the more I think, oh, yeah, I can understand how different ways of thinking, because science, Western science is just a particular way of thinking and yeah. analysing the world. You're like, oh, I can understand how, you know, 20,000 years ago when a volcano erupted, yeah, you would totally think because there's a deity or because mm, there's a, mm. you know, you would think of a different way to explain that. Exactly. Like, like we, I think humans have got this innate desire to explain everything happening mm. around us. And, you know, without the resources that we have, you know, in in top science institutions that we're lucky enough to work in, like, you got to come up with those explanations mm. somehow. And, yeah. I guess yeah, what makes people... science special and beautiful is that it's one of the few systems that's okay with being like, yeah, I don't know. Hey, but we'll find out. <laughs> we'll just keep trying until so we find true. out rather than trying to make up something to kind of fill yeah, in the gaps yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. No, it's great. And I mean, all of, all of science is just so interesting. And that's, I think, that's why I'm really excited that we're doing this podcast, Matt, and and that we're getting to, you know, create this this medium where we're we're looking into all these different areas of science. Like this isn't just a neuroscience podcast. Like, you know, this is this is an everything science podcast. And so if if you have any questions, any burning desires about any any area of science whatsoever that piques your interest, remember you can always email us at curiosityrat at gmail.com and you can find us on our social media, which is at curiosityrat on both Twitter and Instagram or Curiosity Killed the Rat on Facebook as a page. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lyndon. We had a great time and like your insight was amazing and I feel so, so honored that you you came to join us. Would you would you like to tell the listeners if they loved hearing your stuff, where can they find you? How can they track you down? Well, uh, I'm following Curiosity Killed the Rat on Twitter, <laughs> so you can find me there or I'm at, at Lyndon Ashcroft on Twitter. You can hunt me down in that place or I uh, speak on Einstein and Gogo community radio uh, show on Sunday mornings on 3RRR in Melbourne a couple of times times a month. You can find that online as well. Or there's not a lot of Lyndon Ashcrofts in the world, to be honest. So you can, um, (laughs) if you have a look, you'll probably find her. But thanks for having me. It's been a real honor. Oh, Uh, thank you so much for being our first guest on the show. We'd love to, we'd love to have you back sometime to discuss these other aspects of climate change when we're in uh, less of a dire situation and we can feel a little bit more free to just discuss some of the fun factoids. Be more positive for sure. All right. And with that, peace out, homies. Be positive like the dipolar Indian pattern. No, you got it wrong. What, what, what was it? The, what <laughs> Pacific. Was it? The Indian Ocean dipole. <laughs> what, what was it again? Yeah, there you go. Indian, Indian Ocean, Ocean dipole. Indian Ocean dipole. Like the Indian Ocean dipole. Deposit- be positive like the Indian Ocean dipole. There we go. We learned something. All right. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Uh, peace out. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat.